Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Psalms. So the Psalms are right in the center of the Bible. They're in the Old Testament. Uh, they have really all the teachings that are in the Bible are contained in the Psalms. One theologian said they're like a mini Bible. The Psalms give us the language to worship God in technicolor. That's the title of our series. What does that mean? It means to worship God when I'm happy. When I'm glad, when I'm sad, when I'm mad. I have the language from God to worship Him in all of those settings. It is real worship in technicolor. Not just sort of a two-dimensional worship when everything's going great or on a Sunday morning, but real worship on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when things are going well, when I can't go to sleep late at night and I'm worrying about that disease or I'm worrying about the children or I'm worrying about the finances. There is a language in the Psalms to worship God and to bless His holy name. And there's also direction in the Psalms for The righteous, those who are God's people. As a matter of fact, the title of this morning's message is The Way of the Righteous. The Way of the Righteous. And we're going to be studying Psalm 1. So if you go right into the middle of your Bible, the first book there in the book of Psalms, Psalm 1, The Way of the Righteous. Psalm 1 is an in valuable guide. Psalm 1 gives us directions that we can bank on along the pathway of the righteous. Now, I don't know if it's because I'm 60 years old, actually 61, or I'm just proud. But when I'm driving around Miami, I grew up in Miami. I don't want to use some GPS device, whether it's Siri and her delightful voice on my iPhone. I want to go it alone. Especially when I'm visiting someone that I've been there before. Like what happened recently when I visited Richard Morla. Hey, Richard lives right near me. I've been to Richard's house many times. I don't need no stinking Siri. Well, Richard lives in a complicated neighborhood. And wouldn't you know it, every time I go to visit Richard, I end up in the same place. Lost at a dead end. And guess what I turn on? Siri. Hey, Siri, Richard Morla. Oh, yes, turn right here, turn left there. Because invariably, when I try to go on my own directions, I turn right when I should have turned left. You know, Siri every once in a while gets it wrong, doesn't it? You ever been in that place? You want to just throw the phone right out the window? Some of you may have done that. Siri is pretty good. Usually about 95 to 98% of the time it's good. But here, let me tell you something. Here, this, this guide will never fail you. 100% of the time, God's word gives perfect directions along the way of the righteous. Now, we are all on a journey in life, all of us. And we are in desperate need for directions for the way of the righteous. And let me be very clear here right now. God is the one sovereignly, by his sovereign will, who plucked us off of the way of the wicked, the way to destruction, the way of the lost, and he put us on the way of the righteous. He did that because 
He chose us before the foundation of the world, according to the Bible. He did, does that because, according to the Bible, he calls us in an effectual way. We hear the gospel. Some of you may be hearing it this morning for the first time. And suddenly, by his spirit, we understand what is being said. He does that by giving us new life, what the Bible calls regeneration, that by his grace, he makes us alive. We were once dead, and now we're alive in Christ. He does that by his grace when he gives us justification. He makes us right with himself because all of us, apart from Christ, are at war with God. And he does that by his grace and sanctification. Once he makes us right with himself in Christ, he then begins to conform us to the image of Christ. That's the process we're all in. That's the road we're all driving down along right now to become more like Jesus. And he does that because he promises one day to glorify us. As Christians, we have this incredible promise that one day when Christ returns, we will be like him because we will see him as he is and we will experience his glory. So it's all by grace. It's all by grace. And this word is the directions, are the directions for this way of righteousness. See, dear believer, God calls us, his burden this morning, he calls us to listen to his directions, to turn on the directions, even though we think we know how to get there. We've been there before, and that's true, we're familiar, but these directions are infallible. They will always lead us on the righteous way, the way of the righteous. It's infallible, these directions. So shall we read them? Let's do that. Psalm 1. You ready? Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind blows and drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What is God saying to us this morning? What are the infallible directions for the way of the righteous? What is the main point of this text? It is this, delight in God and his word. Delight in God and his word. Look at verses 1 and 2. Here God reveals his wisdom for the righteous through a very stark contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Point 1, the righteous delight in God and his word. The righteous delight in God and his word. Let me say again, the only difference between the righteous and the wicked is God's grace in Jesus Christ. Those of us upon whom God has shown his mercy, who have repented and believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord, have a righteousness, have been put on the way of righteous, not because of our good deeds or anything we could do, but because of what Christ has done. That's the main point of the gospel. That's the main point of Christianity. This righteousness is Christ's righteousness that has been given to us as we 
put our faith in him as a gift from God. We cannot earn it. We did not earn it. He gives it to us. The wicked are those who do not repent and believe in Jesus Christ. There is a stark contrast between the righteous and the wicked in Psalm 1. I believe it's on purpose. It's the doorway to the book of Psalms. It is saying this book is for the righteous. The rest of the 149 Psalms are all instructions, directions for the righteous in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God reminds the righteous at the beginning of this book that they are to live in such a way that they reject the counsel of the wicked and they delight in God and his word, his counsel. Look at verse 1. The righteous do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You see it there? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Each one of these is an ascending picture of someone who is giving into, who's following the directions. They haven't turned on the word of God. They haven't turned on the authoritative, infallible directions for the way of the righteous. But they're either going their own way or the way of the world, the way of the wicked. God is saying that as the righteous, we're not to do that. What's interesting is these three levels form an increasing pattern and picture of someone who buys in totally to directions that are not God's directions. The first one, to walk with the wicked. That pictures someone walking in step with the wicked. And it really, it's kind of more on a, on, a, on a surfacey level. Suddenly you start agreeing maybe internally with their counsel, agreeing maybe internally with their take on life. More importantly, their directions for life. Now, let me make an important distinction here, church. God is not saying here that we should not associate with the wicked. That's not what he's saying. On on the contrary, God is saying that we should associate with them for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them. What he's saying is don't buy in to their values. God calls us to befriend the wicked. God calls us to be influences in our spheres, whether at work, whether at school, whether in our neighborhoods. We we are to associate and have friends that are not following Jesus Christ for the purpose of what? Of living out, of speaking the gospel and living out the gospel and and saying to them, hey, listen, turn Siri on. There, There are directions that will get you there. Here is the way of the righteous. Now notice, The second level is to stand in the way of sinners. Standing in the way of sinners represents a deeper sharing of the values and the directions of the wicked, those who do not live for God's glory. It's standing with someone for a cause. I mean, you've got skin in the game now. I mean, kind of like Marcos and Becky and and Melinda. I, I was talking to Becky just a little while ago. She and Melinda finished the half marathon. Pray for Marcos. He's probably still running the marathon. But see, they stood with the righteous, in this case, raising both awareness and support to combat sex and human trafficking, which is a horrible, horrible sin and evil in our world. They're standing with them. You understand what I'm saying? They're suffering for them. The Bible says don't do that with the wicked. Don't stand for those causes. 
And then finally, in verse 1, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You see, to sit with someone is suddenly to be so involved in them that you're sharing a meal, you're breaking bread with them. And here's the problem. You're sitting with those who mock and scoff at the righteous. Oh, friend, this is not a good seat to be in. And if you find yourself in that seat, get up and change seats. Because the scriptures say the following, Psalm 2, verses 1 to 6 on the screen. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't need no stinking Siri. We're going to go it our way and we're going to oppose God. Listen to their fate. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The one we just worshipped, Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, laughs. He, the Lord holds them in derision. God scoffs at the scoffers. Then he will speak to them, that's God, in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king, Jesus, on Zion, my holy mountain. Instead of living according to the counsel and direction of the wicked, no, now the righteous. Here's the contrast. Don't do this. Do this. The righteous live according to God's directions as they delight in God and his word. Look at verse 2. But his delight, whose delight? The righteous, the blessed man. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Night To delight in God's word, to delight in God, is to rejoice in Christ Jesus. It's to walk in Jesus' counsel and directions. It's to stand with Jesus and his ways and his purposes. It's to sit with Jesus and have a meal with him. We call that communion. It's to so share his values that we sit now at his, at his table as friends when formerly we were enemies to delight in the law of God, brothers and sisters. Well, right here it tells us what it is. Look at the second part of verse 2. And on his law, he meditates day and night. How do I delight in the law of the Lord, Al? How do I delight in God and in his word? You meditate on it. Our ladies right now are studying the book of James on the second Wednesday of each month. And some of the ladies have decided, they've made a commitment. They say, we're going to memorize the Bible. We're going to memorize James. This, this is what it means to meditate in the Word. Guys, when we go on that men's retreat, one of the things we're going to talk about is, how can we step up to the plate when it comes to God's Word? How can I delight here and have this on when there's many voices speaking to me, telling me how to get to where I think I'm going. But here is the infallible directions of God. We do it by meditating on God's word. To delight in God and his word is to obey his word, is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that I become more and more like Jesus as I'm obeying God's word. So here's the question for you. Where do you go for directions? When you're in a neighborhood you think you know, or where you're totally lost, like I was this morning after dropping off Marcos and Becky and Mindy at 6 in the morning in downtown Miami, and I got royally lost in Overtown. I had no idea where I was. I needed a little bit of help to get out of there. <laughs> so whether you're in a place where you feel like you're lost right now, 
you, you don't know where to turn. Or whether you're in your own neighborhood, you think you know exactly where Richard Morla's house is. You've been there a few times. Where do you go for directions? Where do you go for direction for your life? Right now, wherever you may be, where do you go? Is it God's word? See, here's the contrast in this text. It's either going to be God's word, delight yourself in God and his word, or it's going to be the counsel of the wicked, which includes our own counsel if it's not under God's word, or the counsel of those that don't live for God. They don't live for the glory of God. Here's a couple of questions to ask yourself. Where do I walk? With whom do I walk? Where do, with whom do I stand? And with whom am I sitting? A couple of ways you can figure that out. Do you share your deepest thoughts, fears, and desires for direction with God first? Is this the first place you go? Do you share then your deepest thoughts and fears and need for direction with godly men and women? If you're still at home, do you start with your parents as godly parents? Do you you go to your godly friends? Would you consider going to your community group leader? to your pastors, and just starting with God and his word, where do you go? What's your go-to, right? Everybody has a go-to. You know, we say one thing, but when push comes to shove, when I'm lost in Overtown and it's 6 o'clock in the morning and it's dark and I'm seeing everybody walk around my car and they all are looking like they just came out of the club, (laughs) right? That's the moment when you find out what's your go-to. Metaphorically speaking, you got it? Okay, you can feel that way in your life. Where do we go? Is God's word, is God himself the first one and the first place we go to for directions? Because the Bible says that those who delight in God and his word are blessed. Point two, God blesses the righteous who delight in him and his word. God blesses the righteous who delight in him and his word. Just as God spoke to us through contrast between the wicked and the righteous in appealing to us and communicating his burden for us that we should delight in his law and in him and his word and not in the counsel of the wicked. So God shows us the wisdom of that course. The Psalms is called wisdom literature. By saying there's a contrast between the righteous who are blessed and the wicked who are cursed. And he gives us, he gives us word pictures here in Psalm 1. It opens up with this very word, blessed is the man. That's a generic term. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but who delights in God and his word. What I love about this blessing is it's very intimate. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6a. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. So I I want you to do something. Draw a line from verse 1. Blessed is the man or woman who walks in the counsel of the Lord, not in the counsel of the wicked. And draw a line to verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The blessing God has for you is tailored for you. Now, it's true. All of us as Christians will experience glory together with Christ. But do you know that there is a special glory just for you? I mean, you all know this, right? 
if there is an ocean in the new heavens and new earth, that's where I'd like my home to be. Give me a job. We're going to work in the new heavens and the new earth, you know, doing something around the ocean. I mean, when I'm feeling sad, you know, when the bug bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I don't simply remember my favorite things. I get in the car and I drive to the beach. I grew up in Miami. You understand what I'm saying? I truly believe this. God is so personal. Whatever thing you're smiling about right now, whatever your place to go, your happy place is, okay? We all have them. Unless it's a wicked thing, so forget that one, okay? Righteous memories, okay, guys? Sanctify all that stuff, all right. God has a, he has, he has a very personal one for you. He knows the way of the righteous. He died for you. He rose from the dead for you. You understand that? God can keep everybody's name straight because he's God. Don't doubt that. I can't. God can. Very personal. Very personal. Well, this word blessing is really important, church, and we need to jump into it. What does this word blessing mean? Well, it's a word that is rich with both redemptive meaning, what God has done from the beginning to redeem us, and redemptive promise, what he promises us in his word. You do understand this, that God created the first man and woman in a state of blessing on the screen, Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them. He's speaking of Adam and Eve. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Remember that word fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves. But Adam and Eve refused to listen to God and they chose to go in their own direction. They said, we don't need your direction, God. We know where we want to go. And it's not where you want us to go. We want to be God. And in that moment, because God is righteous, he cursed them. He threw them out of the garden. And ever since then, we have suffered, dear ones, with that curse. But God in his mercy, he didn't have to. He did it fully in his full freedom because of his love and mercy. Not because we deserved it, because he decided to do it. He said, I am going to send a savior who will reverse the curse. We see a picture of that in Genesis 12. Verses 1 to 3, again on the screen. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. There's that word blessing. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And we are the children of Abraham, by the way. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus Christ is the promised Savior who came to bring blessings to all the nations. He's the one that makes it possible for every tongue and every tribe and every kindred and every nation to be in heaven praising God and receiving the blessing of the Lord, though they and we deserve the curse of the Lord because all of us are sinners by birth because of Adam and Eve's sin. 
See, Jesus took that curse on the cross. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, this is the core. At the center of the Christian message is the cross of Christ. I know it's a place of shame. I know it's the place where he was murdered. He was killed as a criminal, naked, ashamed. It's a place where people say it's weakness and and it's dishonor. But God said, it is where my glory shines. Because it's where I restore my creation so that they might reflect my glory as the moon reflects the sun's light. But he didn't just die for our sins. He rose from the dead for our forgiveness of sins. He rose from the dead to be the firstborn from the dead to say there is something better to come. There is a resurrection life. There is a body that no longer is racked with cancer. It no longer grows old and dies like So many of us have experienced with our mothers recently, or our parents. There's a place of glory that he promises. Jesus Christ is the one who came to drink the cup of cursing. Communion is around this cup, and it's the cup that Jesus drank at the Last Supper, and he drank the cup of curse and was cursed on a tree so that we might drink the cup of blessing in him. That's at the core of the Christian message. It's all by grace. See, Jesus restores our relationship with God. Then he restores our relationship with one another. And ultimately, one day, Christian, he'll restore your relationship with creation. Do you know that when Jesus returns, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, and he will restore your relationship with creation. You'll have dominion over creation as God originally intended with Adam and Eve. That's going to be fun. Camping will actually be fun for me in heaven. Yeah, I don't enjoy camping, okay? Let me just tell you that right up front, all right? I'm going to go so I can prove to Corey that I'm a macho man, but I will be complaining inside the whole time. (laughs) But there'll be a day when we can roam creation and rule it underneath God's benevolent rule the way God intended. It's going to be a good day, church. Be a good day. And how is that blessing pictured in this text? Well, look. Look at verse 3. It's pictured as a tree planted by streams of water. Look at verse 3. He, the one who delights in the Lord and his word, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Now, on the screen, there's a picture of a tree. And I think that's, a, that's the picture God gives us. See, in Christ, we have life. We have fruitfulness. Remember that word fruitful? When God created Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply. When they sinned, suddenly that fruitfulness was curtailed. Thorns came in. Problems came in. In our lives, we experience that today. But we are like a tree planted by streams of water. The Lord provides us water in that dry place that we're at. The Lord provides for us life. It yields its fruit in its season. Verse 3b. You know what I love about that? The Lord brings forth fruit from your life that he's ordained for you. In the season, he's ordained for you to produce it. God does that. That's part of the blessing of delighting in God and his word. And its leaf does not wither. Oh, friends, so many of us have watched our loved ones and their bodies literally withering. When my mother died last April, I I literally saw a vibrant woman wither before my eyes. But here's my hope. She loves Jesus. That body will be renewed 
at Christ's coming, and she will be once again vibrant and beautiful. I was interviewing a couple in the church whose, whose son was born with a lot of problems. And I said to them, I looked them right in the eye, I said, one day that boy will be perfectly healthy, running and skipping, and you'll see it in the new heavens and the new earth. And I'm sorry for the suffering today, but that's our hope. That's the blessing of the righteous. And this threefold blessing is summarized in the last part of verse 3. And all that he does, he prospers. Is your soul prospering this morning? If not, then run to Christ. Delight in him and his word, for he is the word of God incarnate. And prosper in his will for you to bear the fruit he's ordained for you in the season he has ordained you to bear it. But, oh, friends, you can't read this psalm without also reading the warning to the wicked. See, there is no blessing for the wicked. Look at verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is the polar opposite of a beautiful tree. Chaff has no roots. Chaff has no life. Chaff is dry. It is blown about by the wind. It is fruitless. It is useless. Not so for the righteous. They are fruitful and they have longevity and eternal life. But oh, wicked, there's only fruitlessness and ultimately punishment. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Friends, God watches over us, as I mentioned in verse 6a. He knows the way of the righteous. He keeps us safe. But the wicked, at the end of verse 6, they perish. Psalms is part of wisdom literature. Proverbs that follow the Psalms is also part of wisdom literature. Listen to how they speak the same truth in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. On the screen, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Stop trying to use your own way out. Turn my word on. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight, straight, make straight your paths, the way of the righteous. Be not wise in your own eyes. Listen, most of the time, the reason I don't turn this on is because I'm just being proud. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing for your flesh and refreshment for your bones. This teaching in Psalm 1, this teaching in Proverbs 3 that is really focused on Jesus who is our wisdom. Wisdom isn't a concept. Wisdom is a person. Jesus, the Word of God incarnate. This teaching is summarized, friends, in Jeremiah 17. You find it throughout the Bible. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8, on the screen. Thus says the Lord. Note the contrast here. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But note the contrast. Blessed is the man. This is generic, man or woman. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Here's that tree again. He is like a tree planted by water. It sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. If you're in a tough place, if there's heat on your life right now, cling to the Lord for he's clinging to you. 
Look and delight to his word. Meditate on it. Does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green. Sounds just like Psalm 1. And is not anxious in the year of drought. If you're going through a drought in your relationships, and your finances, at work, whatever, trust in him. God will sustain you. For it does not cease to bear fruit. You know, I can't help but think of that tree of life. And again, if you're not a believer or if you're not familiar with the word, the Bible starts with the tree of life in Genesis 1 and 2. And the Bible ends with the tree of life in Genesis 22. And this whole Bible is about God restoring access to the tree of life through Jesus Christ. You could summarize this Bible right here, all of this. And we forfeited it through our rebellion and said, I don't need your directions, God, I'm going to do my own. God said, I'm going to save you through a Savior. And this is the revelation of Christ on the cross, raised from the dead. And and the last chapter, read with me what it says about this tree of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, See, right there, you know it's a supernatural tree. Twelve kinds of fruit. Yielding its fruit every month. What tree do you know gives fruit every month? The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Our lives are to be for the healing of the nations. Why? Because God has given us the gospel that says, here is the tree of life. Listen to the directions of your God, for he sent Jesus as your Savior. And as they repent and believe, there's the hope of life, even in the midst of death. And dear unbeliever, with all respect of my heart, I would just say to you, repent and believe. I'm trusting God, the Holy Spirit would be speaking to your heart right now. For you see clearly in God's word, there is a contrast between the righteous, there by grace, there because God had mercy, and the wicked, those who go along their own directions and ways. Let us pray. Worship team, would you join me up front? Father, I pray that you would give us understanding about your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open up the understanding of the believer here this morning. Lord, if they have had the word of God turned off functionally. Maybe they're in the heat of a desert relationally. Their marriage with their children at work, with their friends at school in their community, maybe with their neighbors. Or they're desperate. There's a drought. Lord, give them the grace in Jesus Christ to delight in you, Jesus, who died for them and rose from the dead and promises them glory. And to reject the counsel of the wicked. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that's been walking with the wicked, standing with the wicked, or even sitting with the wicked, Give them the grace to get up and move now. Give them hope that there's a blessing they cannot contain nor understand that it's awaiting them. May they not forfeit that eternal blessing by foolishness. Lord, we know that once you save us, we are yours forever. But, boy, we can walk in some pretty foolish shoes on this earth. Give us grace to repent and walk away from the foolish 
and delight in you, the wise one. Jesus, you are our wisdom. And Lord, for the unbeliever here this morning, would you have mercy on them and show them Christ? Lord, give them understanding. Draw them to yourself and that way of righteousness. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and let us cry out to God for his words of life as we sing this song. Make this your prayer. Sing this to God, for he is here to bless you in Jesus' name.